For our sermon this evening, we're going to be turning to the book of Matthew. Please turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 8. Matthew, chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 27. Matthew, chapter 8. Verses 23 to 27. Again, it's very interesting by God's grace that, and His providence that I chose this message for this evening, having no idea what the weather would be like this evening, but hopefully this will be instructive to our souls. Our title for this evening's message is Following Christ Through the Storm. Just immediately before this text from verses 23 down to verse 27. Before that we see the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. And those costs will be at times hard. Very hard indeed. One disciple said he would follow wherever he would go. Wherever the Lord wanted him to go. Another had reason to go back. And these are in the verses immediately before this section of Matthew's gospel. But it was made clear. We were to follow Christ no matter the cost, no matter the challenge, and no matter the difficulty. During this following Christ, no matter the cost, but it sounds great in theory, doesn't it? We all know that that's what we need to do. Uh, but far more difficult in practice. It is the storms, the times when things seem chaotic, uh, that our faith is often tested the most, when there seems to be no control over the elements of our life. Do we have a calm confidence in God, regardless of the calamity that seems to go on around us? Or do we fear, not realizing the God we follow? A God in control. And a God who is calm amidst the storm. So we're going to read now verses 23 to 27 of Matthew chapter 8. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea. So that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? May God bless his holy and infallible word. For the last few years, it seems to be, if anyone's following the news for long enough, chaos seems to be the order of the day. And it seems to be a growing sense of the casting off of the old norms of society more and more. We can have political explanations for why this happens we can say 
it's Trump or it's Boris Johnson or it's Brexit or whatever the explanation we can have. The problem of this chaos, it seems to be growing across an ever-confused and ever-divided world. Now, as I say all this, we should not also think that the past was perfect. And everything was perfectly calm in the past. But there was certainly a sense in years gone by of calm in the media. Of restraint of our political leaders in in what they would say and what they would claim. Not in every area. We all know too well in this island of ours that it hasn't always been calm. But... Doesn't part of us crave that sense of calmness, a sense of peace, and a sense of control? We, we, we know in our home, children don't thrive on chaos. They thrive on stability. We know in the economy, we, we see the same thing. If there's a lack of confidence, people stop spending money and get all nervous. A future we'll all admit we we largely cannot see. And this all can make us feel really uneasy, sometimes as Christians, because don't we all, we we say, we we want to know what's going to happen. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? We love the certainty which, which people can speak of predicting the future, but if if we're honest with ourselves, they cannot predict the future. We can only know the future dear friends, as much as the Bible has told us. We can guess. We can make educated guesses but we can be wrong. Christ will return. That is certain. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. That is also certain. Then the chaos, then the noise will disappear. But until that time, dear friends, until that time, while we remain here, we have a job to do. All of you. Every single last one of us. We have a job to do. As long as there's air in our lungs, we have a job to do. We are here to follow Christ. We are to go wherever he wants us to go. Wherever he leads us. Knowing the way will not always be smooth. But knowing that God will be with you wherever you go, even in the midst of the storm, and be with his people. So we're going to look at this text here this evening, and we're going to look at it under four headings. The first heading is this, disciples face crisis. Disciples face crisis. Verses 23 and 24. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose in the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Were the the disciples, were they expecting the storm to occur? Or this, as it says here, a tempest, a great tempest. Not at all. Not at all. It was the last thing that they were expecting. Sometimes we are surprised when a storm comes into our lives. Everything around us looks like it's chaotic and, and everything is up, up in upheaval or seemingly. 
While we can be surprised when it comes, we should not be surprised that they do come. They will come. The longer you live, the longer you are a Christian, the more likely you are to see crisis, moments of crisis, the more you see the chaos of this fallen world. Fallen world under a curse. We must remember, this war continues, the difficulty, the creation itself is groaning in travail under this bondage since the fall of Adam. Seeking for the new heavens and the new earth. If we follow Christ, does this mean that all will be calm around us? That all difficulties, all trials will be removed? And even with Christ with us as we go, as Christ was with them in the boat, wasn't he? He was asleep, resting. Christ was not at all concerned. There is the temptation to think that Christ will lead us away from any storm. And if we go with Christ, all the problems that you have will be over. I think we've heard those types of messages, haven't we? If you follow this, you'll be able to fix this. And everything will be okay. In many ways, there's elements of truth to this. Things will improve if we follow the teachings of Christ. But it does not mean... That the trials and the difficulties and the, the moments of crisis won't come. They will come. They will. Now, we also don't like to say this out loud, do we? If I follow Christ, then everything will be okay. But our attitude to God can be, I will follow you wherever you lead me, if you lead me where there is no storm. I dare say if they knew the future, they may not have gotten into the boat in the first place. We may think, I want a peaceable life. Nothing wrong with that. I do not want to deal with the challenges and the trials of this world. I just can't cope. And we can sympathize with this. Who among us does not want peace? It would be very unusual if you didn't want peace. But at what cost? We cannot pursue a peace which is really another way of saying my best life now. My best life in this, on this fallen world. We can, as reformed Protestants, as covenanters, we can be guilty of slipping into a version of a prosperity gospel. Which is very popular among many in the charismatic movement. Not all, but among many. It's a mentality that is not just popular in, within the charismatic movement, but also in other churches. We can become materialistic. We can become comfortable. And we can follow God if he gives us what we want here. And now, removing the challenges, removing the difficulties. If we are not careful, then things themselves, 
Things themselves, mammon, become our God. Remember, Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You will either cling to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon is not just money. It's things, it's property, it's possession, it's wealth, it's things. Mammon can become our God. Following Christ will eventually bring you to face crisis, as it did them. They followed him literally into a boat to face a literal weather crisis. But it will bring this. There will be things you have no control over. Actually, let me put it like this. There will be things that will show you how little control you had in the first place. Sometimes we think we're in control, we're not. We think we can control things. We, we, we think if we work harder at certain things, that, that that will make things better. Sometimes it will, but sometimes it won't. We have no real control over what goes on around us. How much control do we have over the weather tonight? I don't, I don't think many of us would have picked the weather tonight. We like to plan things, and there's nothing wrong with planning for the future. We should, to a degree, plan for the future. But our plans are all subject to the will of God. Every last grain of dust of those plans is subject to the will of God. We are not in control of the wind and the waves. How many of us in February of 2020 would have been able to predict, no matter how much news in China you were following, would have been able to predict the last two years. We don't know the future and we're not in control. Imagine if someone was trying to stop the wind. It would look quite absurd, wouldn't it? Just trying to stop the wind. You can't stop the wind. You can't stop the waves. Our, and actually our human instinct really is to run away. Not to try and to control this uncontrollable force. Here in our text there is something fierce and powerful. Something that cannot be controlled. And they see this. Not, they can't be controlled by them. It is the power of what came in their time of crisis. Now... What was happening here might be lost in our English translation. This word here for tempest or storm can be described as this. A series of violent movements. Shaking. Agitation. Now, if it's on the earth, it can be talking about an earthquake. On the sea, when high winds caused huge waves, a violent storm. And in the Greek word, we have a sense of shaken. Used to today, we have this, the word seismic. But it's only used for earthquakes today. But don't we have a sense of being shaken? Shaken from our sense of safety when these things happen. What we thought was safe got into that boat. We thought it was safe and no longer did it seem safe. If we didn't think it was safe, we'd never have gotten into it in the first place. 
What happens when we are shaken in our lives? We, we can become uneasy because the thing, the thing we trusted, we see itself is ultimately not safe. The boat is not safe. The storm is not safe. They may be thinking, where, where is our master taking us? The boat is covered in waves. Why would he take us this direction? Dear friends, it is not wise or it is not even possible to try to avoid all the dangers of life. You can't. You can't come into a situation where all the dangers, where all the possible scenarios are removed. Think of it simply like this. Follow Christ. No matter the cost. Even, dear friends, dare I say, if it does cost us our own lives, Number two now, disciples fear carnally. Disciples fear carnally. And I say fear carnally is that we will all do this. At times, we will fear carnally. If we're following Christ, we will at times struggle. We read the description of this crisis, this storm, and we think they have a great reason to be fearful, humanly speaking. They have a great reason to be fearful. This is not any small storm. This is a major storm. A powerful storm. Huge waves that cover the boat. Could you imagine this? A big covering over the boat. In verse 25 it says this, Then his disciples came to him, and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. Save us. We are perishing. Save us. We are dying. Save us. We're about to die. They feared for their lives. We who follow Christ, we will have times when we fear. We all have times when we fear. And sometimes we will fear the wrong things. And it can be when we lack the fear of God. Humanly speaking, carnally speaking, we will sometimes fear for the wrong reasons, just like the disciples did here. And I see myself, and I actually, as I read through this earlier in the week, I wondered, how would I have reacted? If I was in this situation with Christ in the boat, how would I have reacted? And then I ask another question. How should I react? I, I say this because we may think we can completely sympathize with what the disciples are doing here, don't we? But I am not the standard Christ is. And what we would do or indeed do does not determine what is right. Let me say that again. What we do or decide to do does not determine what is right. Christ determines what is right. How do we know that they got it wrong? In verse 26, in response to this, Jesus said, But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Why are you fearful? 
O you of little faith. Or another way of saying this, another way of translating this would be, why are you acting cowardly? Why are you acting cowardly? And that's a very hard word to hear. It would, be the, it would be very insulting if somebody ever called somebody a coward, wouldn't it? Very insulting and it would have caught. To even think of it as hard, but the disciples were in such fear that they were acting cowardly. There was nothing good about this. Uh, one definition of this Greek word is this showing fear in a shameful way. Coward. Showing fear in a shameful way. This same word, the same Greek word, is translated like this also in Revelation 21 verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexual, immoral. And then it gives a list of other things that we would see as horrible. And then it says, have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The cowardly, the exact same Greek word. Word. This type of panic or cowardice of fear showed a lack of belief. It was basically they were hysterical. It wasn't just mild concern, it was hysteria. They were acting, and this was sharp rebuke. And we know if you ever go to John's Gospel, One thing you'll notice about Jesus is he's so tender and loving and caring, but he will rebuke when necessary. It is a sharp rebuke for their level of fear. Even if we think, this is a serious storm, and it was. This is a serious storm. The disciples were saying to Christ, we are perishing, we are dying, or we are about to die. They they feared for their imminent danger of their lives. We're going to die if you don't act now, they were saying. Humanly speaking, we can understand the reaction, but spiritually we cannot justify it. Humanly speaking, I think everyone here says, I understand why they acted like they acted. I completely get it. But we can't justify it spiritually, can we? My friends, who were they with? Who are the disciples with? What does their level of fear say of what they think of Christ? And let me ask another more probing question. Today, friends, what does our level of fear say about our view of Christ? What does it say to our our lost friends and neighbors? The, The media is trying to terrorize people with fear perhaps some of it is true perhaps some of it is not but what does our level of fear and this is a real threat this is not the storm was serious serious it's scary to think about these things but we must there is a world in the midst of many storms and trials today And what does it say if we act just as fearful as they do? Hysterical. Hysterical. What does it say? We, dear friends, must be the opposite of this. The opposite of cowards. We must be brave. 
courageous for the Lord. And, dear friends, we're not going to get there often, I dare say. We're not going to get there by pointing out every fault that we have. We have plenty of faults, each and every one of us, myself included. But we need to encourage each other. Can you remember back to your Old Testament? When Moses and Joshua were there and Moses is about to die. Moses was told, encourage Joshua. He needed courage. He needed courage. It means we should not be afraid. It means, dear friends, we are far safer than we realize with Christ. Let me say that again. We are far safer than we realize with Christ. Why? Because this is his world. He spoke it into existence. And he is the one who is calm in that boat. Does he know something the others don't? Number three now. Disciples forget creator. So we've looked at disciples face crisis, fear carnally. Number three now, forget creator. Forget creator. This is like they can forget their creator. Obviously, to be a true disciple, you cannot completely forget your creator. But there can be moments and times when we are gripped by fear, as they were here, and they forget their creator. Who he is. Did they see at that moment what was happening and that Christ was in control? He was asleep and he was in control of everything. Sadly, they didn't. They forgot it. In a moment of panic, in a moment of disbelief, in a moment of cowardly fear. Who makes the winds and the waves to move in the first place? Who spoke by the word of his power bringing the universe into existence? This man who was asleep in the boat. This man, this God, this king. So often we struggle with this, don't we? To see not only is he true man, but he's also true God. He spoke. He is the word of God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The word of the living God. There is a great contrast isn't there here. Between the chaotic world. There's storms, there's, diff- there's difficulties, there's trials that arise around us, but there's sweet rest in Jesus Christ. The, the greatest rest we're going to have on this earth, physically speaking, is when we sleep. The best sleep we get is when we're not tossing and turning, isn't it? When something's not plaguing our minds, when we're not having a bad dream or something. When we have perfect rest. When we're tranquil, when nothing's bothering us, that's when we have our greatest rest, when we're asleep. It all belongs to him. 
the creator of the winds and the waves. He is far more powerful than they are. So does it make sense for them to be panicked or fearing the storm and the wind around them? Does it make any sense? Not at all. It says in verse 26, we'll remind ourselves, but he said to them, why are you fearful? O you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. It says in Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And this refers to God. This refers to Christ, the triune God. The earth is the Lord's. It all belongs to him and he controls every aspect of it. Every single hair that falls from your head, he controls. Every single thing. Every breath that's going in and out of your lungs right now. He controls it. And he sustains all. Nothing continues without him. Is it not amazing? Does it not make us in awe that the one who is in control maintains and sustains the entire universe, including the storm that is around? He maintains all this and yet is sleeping here in this boat. It's astonishing. It's beyond our comprehension how wonderful Christ is. We must not forget that He is God. If we are with Him, following Him and trusting Him, we ought not to fear any of the storms we face either. Not because the storms are not scary. They are. Alone, they are. If you... We're in the battlefield and you see Goliath. Goliath is scary. But the one who fights for us, David, will defeat him. And we have a far stronger one than David, the son of David. That is why we cry out to him in prayer. They were right to call upon him to seek for his deliverance. But not in the way they did it. He is the one in control. He is the one with all the power. When you pray, do you see that he can and does answer prayer? He answers prayer. Do you see that nothing stops him from answering that prayer in terms of his power? He does all things according to the counsel of his will. Nothing restrains him. The hardness of your neighbor's heart does not restrain him from saving that neighbor. It doesn't. God saves by his sovereign hand. He may not give you something in prayer that is not good for you. Because he loves you. But he has the power to give you good things. To bring revival to these parts. To enable you to put to death sin in your life. 
wonderful things. To give you peace that grows more the more you know Him. And to finally give you perfect peace in heaven. Our final point now. Disciples follow calm. Disciples follow calm. So, disciples face crisis, number one. Number two, fear carnally. Number three, forget creator. And then, number four, disciples follow calm. Though Christ will at times bring you through storms and trials by his sovereign hand, he knows what you will go through. He knows what you're struggling through today. He knows what you're going to struggle through tomorrow. And there's a purpose. There is a good, righteous, and holy purpose. He knew before Joseph went into slavery what he would go through. And it was for a good, righteous, and holy purpose. Whatever you're suffering through. May it be used and seen to glorify him. If you're trusting in him. As we travel on our way to our heavenly home. He will eventually bring you complete peace of which you crave. That, that peace that you crave, there will be one day it will become a reality in its fullness to the fullest degree. When we exit this world. Disciples follow the Prince of Peace for He will bring that calm to that storm. He may bring you through it, but He will not leave you there. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and you are trusting in Him, He won't leave you there. Cry out to Him, trusting in Him alone. It says in verse 27, after there was great calm in the storm, so the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? That even the winds and the seas obey Him. Even the winds and the seas obey Him. There is great calm or tranquility. And the disciples were shocked. They were astonished at this. They were amazed that He was able to do this. And I think when we track back a little bit, when we think about the, the hysterical reaction that they had... The cowardly reaction that they had, it made sense. Because they didn't see that he was in complete control of everything. He is the creator so he can bring about this calm and peace. The greatest peace we need is with God himself. That calm With God himself. The problem of the chaos in this world. Anything that is chaotic in this world. Anything we read in our newspapers. And we think. Is the world going mad. The world can't even understand. What it means to be female and male anymore. The problem of chaos in this world. Has come from sin. And rebellion against God. Since the fall of Adam, there has been war. War. A declaration of war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Enmity has been placed between those seeds. 
The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That is Christ. The seed of the woman. His bride. There is no perfect peace here. There is no perfect calm here. There are moments of calm. And there are moments of tastes of that calm. And that peace. And that sweet serenity we will one day experience. But not in its fullness. And that will be promised to you by false teachers. You do this, seven steps to a wonderful life. There's probably been a book called that at some stage. You will not have perfect peace here. But Christ at the cross removed our sin. He paid what was owed for our penalty against God. Only for those, dear friends, who trust in Christ. Only for those whom the Father gave to him before the foundation of the world. He chose his people. Only those God by his sovereign power brought peace. The prince of peace brought this peace. And men can do nothing in the face of extreme weather. I think fishermen and other people know this. In the face of extreme weather there's not much we can do. If we're in the middle of a boat, in the middle of the sea, and it's tossing to and fro, you can't escape that. What do people do? They, they try to survive. They try to get through it as best they can with as little damage as possible. You can't stop the winds and the waves. Nobody's ever tried to do it. At least nobody with any sense. But God has even the winds and the waves to obey him. These winds and obey him, they obey him to life. These winds and these waves, well not waves, but winds especially, crashing against the building tonight. God has them doing that. And the question we've got to ask is, all the elements of nature obey him. The stars, the constellations, everything bows to his will, do we? Do we? Do you? The stars, the sun, the moon, all of creation bows to the will of the Creator. They don't say, but they obey without question. All the angels who did not fall obey Him. And by the way, no Redeemer was ever sent to any of the angels who did fall. But mere men formed from the dust of the earth think... That they can disobey him without consequences. This is the absurdity of sin. It is not a perfect analogy. But it's almost like an ant trying to start a war with an elephant. Sin is absurd. How offensive is sin. To turn our face from the one who controls all creation. Which he commands at his will. Mere foolish man says this. No I will not. I will not obey him. And dear friends. I I pray and I hope that this does not include anyone here this evening. The Lord will bring all. To bow before him. He will either bring you by grace. To bow the knee to Christ. Or it will be by force one day. There will come a day when 
all will bow before him. Your rebellion against the Lord is doomed. It was doomed from the very beginning. Seek his mercy. Your rebellion, if you're seeking peace outside of Christ, will not bring peace. Those poor people who are being lied to by the media today, saying if, if these, these children in England and other places who get these, these operations, telling poor young people that they can change their gender or other things like this, horrible things, they're, they're being told that once they do such a thing, they'll have peace, and they don't. They don't. The only way anyone will have peace, any image bearer of God will have peace, is when they have peace with God. True disciples of Christ, they seek peace, calm, in Christ alone. They don't seek it anywhere else. Only someone born again can follow Christ in this peace. Only someone born again. I can only stand before you here this evening, friends, because the Lord gave me a new heart back in 2009. It's not because of anything I've done. It's not because I'm any better than anyone else who's lost. I am not. I'm probably worse, far worse than many of the people who are still lost in this world. But only someone who is born again can see where the peace is. The unbeliever will see the storm and run. The unbeliever will not stay with Christ. He will see only the power of the storm. He will not see the power of God. But the believer does. And he marvels that he doubted at all in the first place. He is in awe of the God who controls the wind and the waves. The uncontrollable is controlled by the mighty power of God. And dear friends, are you going through some storm or trial this evening? Something that robs you of peace, something that robs you of sleep, and something that robs you of that sweet rest and tranquility. No, we won't have it in perfect measure here. But come to Him. You need more of Him. You need more of His Word. You need more of His healing balm. The the solutions to our problems, dear friends, in this world, even after we've been born again, are in the Word of God. The peace we need is found in the Word of God. The confidence we need is found in the Word of God. And we need to know more of it so we too just like the wind and the waves, obey Him. Look to Christ. Remind yourself of His power over the wind and the waves. Look to Christ. Look to Christ away from sin. That's what it means to look to Christ. It is looking away from sin with the eye of faith, seeing that He has the power to deliver your soul from hell. To bring you home. You're not home. This isn't home. Your struggles here are not home. But God prepares a place for you, dear friend. 
A wonderful home. When he will say in Christ and embrace you when you come, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that worth everything? Isn't that worth anything we suffer or anything we lose in this world? Isn't it worth far more to spend an eternity with him? He will bring you home to be with him forever in that celestial city. He will bring you home safely, perfect safely. No fear, no worry, no tears, no pain, only joy. Amen.